Lisa McClendon's Bennett Sisters Mysteries are for anyone wanting to lose themselves in the magic of France with heartwarming stories involving, like Jane Austen's Bennett's, a family of five daughters. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series. So you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and on Binge Reading Today, Lisa talks about the latest book in her Bennett Sisters series, Chateau de Corbeau, in English that's Castle of Ravens. Pascal's dreams of owning his own vineyard come crashing down with a murder very close to home. We've got our usual book office this week. It's Mysteries for July, free for download, links in the newsletter for this episode or in the show notes on the website. Go to thejoysofbingereading.com or sign up for our newsletter so you get a reminder every week with all the live links. Or you can get the early preview by supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com, The Joys of Binge Reading. But now here's Lisa. Hello there, Lisa, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me, Jenny. Look, you've written a wonderfully lively series of French mysteries, quite a number of them. And we're talking about the latest one today, which is Chateau de Corbeau, the Chateau of Ravens, which is just out. Theoretically, it's number 17 in the series, but we'll talk a little bit about some of the slight complications within that 17. But at the beginning, you have five strong-willed sisters who are all lawyers, as their father and grandfathers were before them. And when you started out, did you have any idea of how long those, these five sisters were going to be running? Absolutely not. I, I actually envisioned five books, one featuring each sister. But I wrote the first one, and I actually had a New York publisher, you know, gave me some money to write it. And and then he decided he didn't like it. So I ended up going independent. That took a little while. And then it seemed like it was just a standalone because Blackbird Fly, the first book, is a more of a women's fiction, even than a mystery. It's a lot of self-discovery, a lot of reinventing yourself after a tragedy. So in that way, it, it stands alone or it could stand alone and it did for about five years and then I decided to go back and revisit the characters again after I did a walking tour in in France in Burgundy with a group of women I decided I would have the sisters go on a a walking tour together and that's how it got started again. Yeah so that first book does feature Merle and she loses her husband very unexpectedly. And so that first book focuses on her development when she gets this, first of all, a very unwelcome thing happening, her husband dying suddenly. And then a lot of things unfold from that. She finds out that he's left her this house in France as part of his estate, which she had no idea existed. So that's how we get the French connection in the beginning, don't we? And and then you... at. The, at that stage, had you really developed this passion for France that seems to have, 
you know, grown since? Yes, I I had been to France a few times over the years and I took French as a child. So I I had a rudimentary, what we call high school French. (laughs) So I was always loved to go to France and I'm not alone in that, I'm pretty sure. Um, That's right. That's right. (laughs) Actually, one thing about this book that I think people would really appreciate is that there's a really strong escapist aspect to it. You know, when you're reading it, there's lots of French countryside and French wines and French food. And for some of us, there may be this feeling, we're never going to get to France again. This world's got so complicated uh, that international travels become difficult. But it is wonderful to have an escapist read like this where it's all laid out on the page for you and you don't even have to make the effort of going there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like that too. I That's what I look for in books. So I, I write what I like to read. Yeah. Now, Pascal is now Merle's boyfriend. He's a, a French wine fraud investigator, but he has already had several other books in the series, hasn't he? So explain for us how Pascal came into it and where he kind of fits into the whole flow of the series. Right. Well, Pascal is introduced in Blackbird Fly. He and Merle have a little fling and then she finds out that he's not who she thought he was. And so that that create some a bit of a mess and then and then so she thinks it's just a summer fling and she goes on with her life she goes back to the, the u.s and but then she decides not to sell the house that her husband left her and to go back and you know in the summer and so that's how it develops she goes back and meets up with him again and and then as the story goes on they I have to concoct ways for them to get together, um, even though there's a big ocean between them. Sometimes he's in New York or in out, outside of New York where some of Merle and some of her sisters live. And sometimes they're in Scotland where one of the sisters is set to be married in the Highlands. You know, so I kind of work a little international travel in there so that they can get together. But it's a kind of interesting arc. I felt like their relationship arc kind of ends at the end of, not that they have broken up, but are they going to be together, you know, kind of thing is over by the end of the fifth book, The Frenchman. But I couldn't stop writing about the sisters. So I just, so then I focused on some of the other sisters. Yeah. But did Pascal, is there a spin-off series? Tell us about Dead Flat. Where does that fit in? Okay. So in the last two winters, and maybe summers in the Southern Hemisphere, but the last two winters, especially the 2020, everyone was in lockdown. I decided to write a, a little book about Pascal in the Champagne region, and that's called Dead Flat, my flat champagne. And, and I put it out in three parts so that and people could kind of like you could either wait and read it all together or you could read it like one one section each month to kind of get through the the months <laughs> when you were home alone so and then i so i did that i did another one like that last winter not this past year but the um, 2021 i did another one like that but it wasn't about pascal so much but so anyway, that was the first that was the first time that we did a point of view book from we get a point of view story from Pascal's 
view of what he does. You hear more about his thoughts about, you know, his relationship with Merle and and the rest of his life. So, yeah, that was a good idea to to specifically cater for readers who were locked down in the COVID pandemic business. Well, yes, I it was good for me because it gave me these little chunks of work to do and get out. Because normally, you know, when you write a novel, it can take six, nine, 12 months to write. So to have a short, shorter kind of pieces up was good, you know, get, getting me through to the end of the next month or whatever. And, and readers seem to like that too. Yeah. yeah. So you have developed, obviously, a lot of knowledge about France over this period. Obviously, you probably haven't been there in the last few years. Tell us a bit about your own connections with France during the writing of these books. Well, back in 2003, I, when I first came up with this idea, the five, um, the five Bennett sisters, like the five Bennett sisters in Pride and Prejudice, yes. which is you know, one of my favorite books, Jane Austen. And so that that's the only real connection. Their name's Bennett and there's five of them. <laughs> so when I came up with that idea, I decided to see what I could find out over the internet. So I, before I went over and, and so I, I did connect with some expats, Americans and Brits who live in the Dordogne. And that I actually had not been to that area at that point in my life. I kind of wanted to I wanted to set it in a place where a lot of Americans hadn't gone at that point. I think that's changed probably, but, but there, a lot of Brits know it. And I got a lot of good information from these people. And some of them are still my friends. I visited them in the Dergome. So that was really a fun. And then I went over and did some on-site research um, for, for Blackbird Fly. And then I've been back to that area a number of times as well. Yeah, yeah. You must know a great deal about wine because in this book, Chateau des Corbeaux, Pascal is exploring this lifelong dream he has to have his own vineyard. So a lot of it is about vineyards and looking at possible um, sites for a vineyard and the sorts of wines that they could grow. I found that all very, very interesting, but I got the impression that you were quite an expert on wine, which may just be your clever um, fiction writing, but tell us about the wine aspect of it. Well, I, yeah, I, what I did was I took a little online course about becoming a winemaker, you know, so I, I, you know, I just do, I do a lot of research and that's the fun part of being, being a writer actually is learning about new things and, and trying to work them into your story, not in a pedantic way, but in a way that's, that makes them interesting, those new information. So in the Chateau de Corbeau, I have Pascal kind of teach Merle about, you know, what, you know, what, where, where's the best place to have a vineyard? Is it on the top of the hill or is it at on the riverbank, you know, things like that, and how to how to match the soil samples to the right kinds of vines, and and I found that really fascinating. There's a lot of science behind winemaking, so you can you can learn a lot. We're taking a quick break. We'll be back with Lise shortly. 
This week on Binge Reading on Patreon, Jill Paul and The Collector's Daughter, the second instalment of our new Encore feature, shorter interviews with favourite authors who've already been on the show. This will be on Patreon for two weeks exclusively and then it will be released for general consumption. But if you want it early, it only costs you less than a cup of coffee a month to be in there as a supporter and have the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping the podcast stay alive. I do all this for love, not money, but sometimes it's lovely to have a little help with defraying the expenses. Jill's talking about The Collector's Daughter, a dual timeline saga moving from the 1920s to the 1970s and tracing Lady Evelyn Herbert's life and the events surrounding the discovery of the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun's tomb. Lady Evelyn was also famous for having been brought up at Highclere House, which is the house where Downton Abbey TV series was filmed. And now we're back with Lisa McClendon. You mentioned you had a five-year gap between Blackbird Fly and the next Bennett book you wrote, but you were, you were doing another mystery series during that five years, were you? Yes, I was. I, I wrote a couple of books in a, a series set in pre-war Kansas City just in like um, 1939, 1940. I had lived in Kansas City and it has kind of a rich sort of gangster history so it was it was that was interesting and then i during also during that five years i wrote a couple of standalone thrillers one called jump cut and it's about a tv reporter in seattle and the other one is plan x it's about a policewoman who's just back from iraq and has ptsd and she has to help find the identity of a bomb blast victim who is not who he appears to be. So, so I wrote those two books, which I enjoyed a lot. Readers, you know, readers love to follow series characters. So I kind of made my way back to the Bennett sisters. So having had that experience at the beginning where you had a brush with a publishing company and then it didn't quite work out, you've self-published everything since and you've never really looked back at doing the trad pub thing. Is that right? That's right. I had six books out with two different New York publishers. And once you get into the business side of independent publishing, it's kind of nice. It's like you have control over your schedule and your covers and everything about what you do can respond to what readers like. And, you know, it's pretty great. I mean, it's not, I'm not like, you know, rolling in money, but it's, it still is pretty great. I like yeah, it. It's lovely. Now tell us that you did a series start that was focused in or located in Jackson Hole too, didn't you? The Alex Thorson series. Right. That was my, those were my first books. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. In the nineties, I wrote four books about Alex Thorson. She's an art dealer in, in Jackson Hole. And I still love books about art fraud. It's sort of like wine fraud, I guess. <laughs> I like fraud stories, like, you know, con men and stuff like that. But so yeah, she lives in Jackson Hole and I have lived in Jackson Hole myself. Um, 
after I wrote those books, I moved to Jackson Hole for a few years. But she, yeah, so that's, those were my first books. They're starting with the Blue Jay Shaman. It's an interesting juxtaposition of Jackson Hole and Art Broad because from this side of the world, Jackson Hole is more or less synonymous with snow skiing and, you know, forests, but not necessarily a high level of culture. Right. Well, you might not know this, but the summer season in Jackson Hole is twice as big as the winter season. You know, oh, far, is it? No, I didn't know that. Tourists, yeah, yeah, um, being right by Yellowstone National Park and and um, oh, Grand yeah. National Park, you know, there's yeah. a lot of tourists. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of fancy people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so there's a lot of art galleries. So yeah, oh it, great. It, 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 it was interesting. I, I um, yeah, so I love those books. I, I may write another one someday, but I kind of hate to look back. That, you know, like, I just like to go forward. So, yeah. What's the biggest challenge in keeping a series going? Well, um, keeping your interest in, in the characters. And I, I feel like I kind of did the right thing by having five sisters. And so I, there's even one sister I haven't, really written about yet so she's not the most exciting sister she's the one they all um you know she's married and has kids and she's kind of the most conventional one and so uh but but the other but the other sisters are all single at mostly at the time that i write about them and so there's some things about their romantic life but i like to you know delve into why when in the midlife women you know there's lots of things can happen choices you can still find love you can still have adventures you can still you know move across the ocean <laughs> you know so there's there's i like to explore what women's choices are and how they can how they move on with their lives in in the face of you know sadness or change or whatever so yeah that that's how that's kind of how I approach you know the, the series. It's like what are these characters going to be faced with? Yeah, and then of course you've got the Bennett sisters cookbook. Now, are you an enthusiastic cook yourself? I do like to cook. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm like you know like a really enthusiastic cook. No, but I do like French food a lot, and I love eating in France, <laughs> and so. <laughs> I put together this, it's just got 25 recipes, just a little cookbook of dishes that are mentioned in the books, you know, in, in passing. Yeah. We'll talk about going into a restaurant and having, you know, a roti de canard or something, you know. Yes. Not, you know people I probably don't know what that is. So if you're interested in what those dishes are that are mentioned, then, then I kind of give you a little bit of snippet about where they're mentioned in the books and then than the recipe. It's actually something that you can get for free, a, a Kindle version of it, if you sign up for my newsletter. It's sort of a promotional piece for me too. Yes. And I see that you also operate a small press, the Thalia Press. Tell us about that. How did you get into it and what are you doing with it now? That's my publishing friend is still. And a friend of mine, another mystery writer named Katie Munger, she and I back in just before, just before the Kindle came on the scene, like 
2006 or seven, we decided we were going to get our old our mysteries that were out of print back into print as paperbacks before in the before times before Kindle times. There was the beginning was of print on demand books, and that's how we started out as print on demand. And then when the Kindle took off, we started ebooks as well. We've done a couple of books together. We did a, a short story anthology with some other people, and Katie and I edited it. And then we also did a group novel, which was a hilarious experience with five writers. <laughs> and it took about two, it took about two years. Katie started it. She, she's good at like just you know throwing it in there and getting the ball rolling, and then. Each of us wrote two, and we went around Robin twice, and then she ended it. And then we had to kind of pull it all together and make sure it all fit together. And so we wrote this, it's a foodie mystery, and it's called Beat Slay Love. And it's sort of, it's dark humor, <laughs> but, but that was another thing we did as under the Thalia imprint. So when I saw that you, you said that you were publishing out of what is it called out of time books i thought you might be looking down and finding you know a hidden sherlock holmes or something like that but not quite like that oh yeah so mostly we do our own books at the moment yes we have talked about bringing some other people in but it's so easy to do it yourself that it's hardly you know there's not much point in yeah in, in helping other people yeah publish now Perhaps readers don't appreciate that sometimes authors might have a book published with the publisher that means they they sell the rights to it for a number of years and then the publisher won't bother to republish it. So it's just sitting there. They can get the rights back, can't they, and do it themselves. Right. That's how we started. Yeah. yeah. It was out of out of print books and it's gotten a bit harder because of ebooks. Now nothing really goes quote unquote out of print because Yeah, that's right. And it's so it's it's a little bit tricky if you work with a traditional publisher. But I I know there's all kinds of machinations now. You can you can keep some rights yourself, and this depends on how much how much leverage you have as a publisher, I guess. Yeah. Look, Lisa, as reader, we always like to ask you about your own reading taste because, as you've mentioned, people love series and they love to be able to binge read through a whole series if they discover something they love. That was partly the reason that I started this podcast and called it The Joys of Binge Reading. What do you like to read and what would you recommend to our listeners? I love to read women's fiction and I love to read mysteries. I love one one of my favorite authors is Alice Hoffman, who writes kind of magic realism. If you've never read any Alice Hoffman, you're in for a treat. James Lee Burke is a mystery writer who has an incredible command of the English language and he's quite the poet. I just finished, re- this is kind of a bad time to ask what I'm reading, but I just finished um, reading for the Hammett Award. Oh, yes. Yeah, Dashiell Hammett Award from the International um, Association of Crime Writers, North America chapter. And so I have had like 150 books. Wow. That's, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't have time to read them all. <laughs> I looked at them, but the books that I really liked in that, in, from that was a, a true crime book, called, which I really don't read much true crime because I find it a little bit 
too visceral for me, but this book was really well written. It's called Two Truths and a Lie by Ellen McGarrahan. It's a really good book. I also really liked William Deverell's Canadian novels. And he, his latest one is called Stung, it's an environmental thriller about insects <laughs> and, and uh, the people that want to save them. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Look, looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing in your writing career that you'd change, what would it be? Probably start earlier, you know. Don't wait until somebody, you know, approves of your writing. Just try to get stories down on paper or, or digital, whatever you, you do. I was a broadcast journalism major in college, and so I, I thought I wanted to be in films and I still love movies. And so I wrote some of my first stories as screenplays and it's just kind of a fool's game. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I rewrote one of them, one screenplay, and that was my first novel. And so it, it just try, you have to write a few novels before you know how to write a novel. I mean, yes. It yeah. isn't. It isn't something that just comes naturally. Like when you read a novel, you think, "Wow, wow that took me three hours." You know, how, how hard could it have been? <laughs> but it is. It's not the same as reading. No, that's for sure. So, was there any catalytic moment where you decided, "I'm going to write mystery fiction"? Yes, actually, when I wrote that the uh, the first novel that was a, originally was a screenplay, and then I rewrote it as a novel. The parts of that story, it was actually set in the 1920s in Wyoming. And so it had a lot of cowboys in it and stuff like that. But, but there was one section of it that was more of a mystery or suspense anyway. And I realized that was the part of the story that I really liked, you know, and it was really fun to write and fun to read. And, and then I ended up in a writing group with Sandra West Prowell, who was a, a dear friend of mine who wrote a, a number of myth, really good mysteries about Montana. And she and I ended up at the same publisher. And but So she was sort of my mentor in writing mysteries. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. What's next for Lisa, the author? Over the next 12 months, what have you got on your desk? Well, I just finished writing a little Pascal story that fits into Blackbird Fly. It's where Pascal disappears for a week or so in the middle of the book, in the middle of Blackbird Fly. And I never explained where he was or, you know, and I really didn't even know. <laughs> he just disappears. And I mean, he has his reasons. And if you read, the, the, if you read Blackbird Fly, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. But so I decided I was going to write a little companion story about what he did during that time. And it, so it's a little mystery of its own. It's like a mystery short story that fits in that, into that. But you should probably read it after you've read Blackbird's Fly. But I just finished that. Then I'm going to write another Bennett Sisters mystery. Pascal's got to harvest his grapes and his first vintage. And Francie's got to have a baby. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so I've got a few things to juggle on in the next one. That's great. Do you enjoy interaction with your readers and where can they find you online? Well, I, I do have a website. It's my name.com, lisamcclendon.com, and you can contact me through there. I have a little re readers group. I have a Facebook page and then I have a little readers group that's 
associated with my Facebook page, but it's separate and it's called Girl Talk. And that's kind of, I, I always interact with readers there. And it seems like a lot of my readers are on Facebook, but not all. So I, you can write to me. I, I answer all emails. Lovely. That's wonderful. Well, look, thanks so much for being with us today, Lisa. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you, Jenny. It was so fun talking to you. Next week on The Joys of Binge Reading, Australian-based crime fiction that deserves to be on the top of your reading list. Perfect for fans of The Dry by Jane Harper comes a twisty crime thriller by award-winning author Adrian Highland. Canticle Creek is a truly entertaining read with complex and engaging characters, heart-racing twists and whip-smart writing. Really highly recommended. That's next week on Binge Reading. And that's it for now. See you next time and happy reading.